Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? Welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Today I'm staying here in Brisbane with the beautiful Belinda Pollard of Small Blue Dog Press. Hello, Belinda. Hello, Melinda, and thank you for uh, thank you for that compliment. <laughs> Actually, it's going to be a bit interesting, Belinda and Melinda. We might have to get around that. It might have to be Bell and Mel. Uh, but look, I've been waiting a long time to speak to Belinda. I, I met with her at a conference earlier this year with Joanna Penn and Rachel Amphlett. And I've had my eye on Belinda and her book, It's About Beta Readers. And I've asked Belinda to come on board and tell us all about beta readers because I didn't know what one was. Um, But Belinda's turned out to be much more interesting than that, so we're going to widen the conversation. Belinda, could you start by telling us about that wonderful, interesting business of yours, Small Blue Dog Press? Well, where do I start? I started... um... I started in books and publishing back in the mid '90s uh, as a uh, as a specialist editor, uh, and late and from there I went into I decided I wanted to start my own business and go freelance, and so um, I moved back to Brisbane. That was in Sydney. I moved back to Brisbane and uh, lived in. Um, in a room under my parents' house <laughs> for a couple of years uh, so that I could afford to pay the bills while I was setting up this business. And I began um, a variety of things, including helping authors to uh, get their books ready for publishers so that they could find a publisher. And also then, uh, as self-publishing started to become more of a thing, to help people to uh, prepare and publish their own books. So I've pretty much been working in the general area since the mid-90s with about six years out to go back to the corporate world for a while. But um, one of the things that really makes me happy is books. And I think you'd know this too, Melinda, with your own books and with the way that um, you talk to people and the way that stuff comes out. Uh, A book is such a special thing, isn't it? The way that it, um, the way that you can present uh, your heart and your mind, uh, things that are really important to you to the world and it can be out there and available for people to read. You know, I mean, I I was reading Jane Austen last night. How many hundreds of years ago is that that she wrote that? And that's the kind of um, durability and beauty that we have in a book. Yeah, and we... I think we forget sometimes about the legacy or the legacies that we create and uh, leave for for future generations. I've been talking with the beautiful Cassandra Gaysford this morning and we were talking about the millionaire mindset and we were saying Mm -hmm. that it's not just about money, it's about our passions. Now, you're obviously very passionate about what you do and you're obviously very passionate about helping other people and that's really the core of Small Blue Dog Press, isn't it? Well, it is. Um, I want to help people to to make a difference 
I think that's what it boils down to. It's about making a difference. And um, so many people, a lot of the people that I work with, uh, they're writing inspirational books. It might be a memoir or um, or a book with um, aspects of personal story in it. And they want to share that story with the world, but they're not exactly sure how to do it. And I think one of the keys to it is figuring out what your what your higher purpose is in writing this thing. Is it because you want to leave a legacy for future generations so that um, your life can continue to count beyond your time on this earth? Is it because you want to help people who are going through perhaps similar types of things that you are going through? Uh, it's um, Is it... Is it just to, um, yeah, to communicate to those younger generations uh, what life has been a lot about, um, like and about in different time frames? There's, uh, in that kind of memoir area, there are there are a whole v- variety of different reasons that you might write it. I mean, I've had people who've who've been working through um, difficulties. One one of my favourite authors at the moment is about to release a book that's actually a f- children's fiction book. But it's uh, it's about bullying, and it's a beautiful um, chapter book, illustrated chapter book with um, with this gorgeous message in it. Uh, these two children who were bullied and how they they came through and did something positive, and they they um, they changed their school and the future of their area forever by the things that they did in response to this bullying. And this is something that's grown out of her own experience as a child, and then later. And she has turned that around and turned it into this gorgeous, gorgeous book. So, um, yeah, there's all different kinds of ways, but I think once a writer locks into what their higher purpose is in doing it, everything else kind of just falls into place underneath that. Yeah, and it's, it's I guess what we're all about here at Writer on the Road, Belinda, we were talking about it earlier, is getting people to identify their stories uh, giving them permission or give, getting them to give themselves permission to write that story down in whatever shape or form that it takes and reminding ourselves and them that we're not all experts to start with but it's okay to have a go. Do you find that people come to you and they're, they're unsure about what they're doing and they, they just need that guidance for right from the start? I find uh, particularly a lot of people lack confidence in their own ability to tell their story. When you think about it, though, who's the best person to tell your story? It's you, isn't it? Uh, No one can tell, no one else can tell your story. They have a different story. Um, I find, too, that often people get fixated on they might be not real good at particular things. Maybe they're not confident in their use of English grammar and yet they have a story that they tell that just glows with life and yet they're worried about the commas and, um, you know, whether they put the words in exactly the right order in the sentence. I don't want to say, I don't want you to get the idea that I mean by this that everybody should write a book and it doesn't matter whether they've got any skill or not. I don't mean that. What I mean is that that um, that power of the story and the storyteller are separate issues to uh, the grammar and the spelling and the punctuation. Those things are technique and they can be learnt or they can be improved by an editor for you afterwards. But the story and the thing that comes from deep in your heart, that is something uh, that's special and that I would hate to be lost 
just because a person was nervous about their ability to uh, know what a gerund is, for example. <laughs> we no. don't want to know. We don't want to know what a gerund is, everybody. No. It um, goes right into that grammar that makes my children climb under the their tables at school. Um, but what I think I'm an editor. I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and that's what Small Blue Dog Press is, everybody. It's an editing service. It's a publishing service. And I think what you do best, Belinda, is is bring out the stories that people have to tell, giving them the confidence to tell it. Now, you've got lots of tricks and tips to do that. Um, the first one I want to start with is there's a little wonderful little um, blog on your website called Five Publishing Myths Debunked. Um, would you like to talk to us about those or would you like me to remind you what they are? Please remind me what they are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, publishers as gatekeepers. Oh, yes. Um, I hear this such a lot that uh, it's as though the publishers are standing in the gap. There's all this this throng of of, of great unwashed writers out there trying to get into the kingdom, and the and the gatekeepers stand there on this little narrow bridge, and they and they only let through the perfect books, and the ones that are awful uh, are kept without. But we know that's not the case. I mean, how many awful books have you read that have come out from uh, a major publisher? Seriously. Um, <laughs> and also how many absolutely perfect books have been kept back from from the world um, purely because the publisher had maybe just signed another book similar to that last month or because they've written um, Norwegian noir and the, um, the fashion at the moment is for vampires. Like there's just so many different reasons that publishers can hold back on a book. They are, they, they're just people doing the best job they can with the skills that they've got and the, um, the options that are available. I love publishers. I don't hate publishers at all. But they're not gatekeepers. They're not, uh, they're not the ones who decide whether whether a book is worthy or not in the end it's it's readers who make that decision i think uh and one of the uh one of the exciting things about the new world of self-publishing where you can from your second bedroom in your pajamas you can um you can produce uh, a paperback and an e-book even a hardcover book with a jacket and distribute it worldwide through all the online bookstores and even have a bestseller on your hands. Uh, we've got It's because of the change in technology and the change in attitudes in that um, people often think it's e-books that really change things, but I actually think it's distribution that changed things. An e-book is worth nothing if you can't get it to a reader, but the fact that um, Amazon really shifted the whole thing and made it possible for us to... Um, as self-publishers to get our books out worldwide. I mean, they'll sink or swim on their own uh, and we have to do a lot of work in marketing, as you would know. But uh, it's it's still uh, an amazing opportunity today to get those books out there. I say don't publish garbage. <laughs> work really hard on it and uh, you've mentioned my passion for beta readers and um, I uh, I really do believe in them even though I'm a professional editor and some people think oh doesn't that do you out of a job if if um, volunteers are reading a book um, what a beta reader is and you've pronounced it beta reader which is uh, there's different public uh, different pronunciations and they're all okay it's the second letter of the Greek alphabet and you can say it however you like really um, <laughs> but I've always said it beta reader and um, they're the volunteers who read our manuscripts and give us feedback on them. They're not the people who tell us how it should be. They're the people who tell us 
what their response was was to it as they read it, and they give us uh, feedback on that. And then what happens is that we choose our response to that. And in the process, like often the focus is on is on it becoming a better manuscript, a better book. But I actually think the true power of uh, having a great team of, of beta readers is that the writer becomes better, more confident, more skilled, more able to see how their words are affecting other people. And uh, it's so beta readers are, are actually about becoming a better writer rather than just becoming a better book. Yeah, and when you get into this subject, which we're actually going to do now, we were going to continue with our five myths, but I think we'll just <laughs> <Sorry>. explore, <laughs> we'll explore this one um, because this is something that I know little about and I'm really interested in it, everyone, uh, and that's beta readers. I don't have one um, other than my daughters who trash my manuscripts mercilessly. Uh, I would like to build up a beta reader group for, for my fiction that I haven't been brave enough to put out yet. How do you build a beta read group? It's uh, it's one of those questions like how long is a piece of string and assorted other things. It will be a different way for everybody. I um, Let me just tell you a little bit about how I put my team together to give you ideas. Uh, I... My very first person who ever read my my book, uh, Poison Bay, before it was published, I will do the little rolly thing. This one, here's one I prepared earlier. Um, the very first person who read any of that was um, I entered uh, a contest through Varuna, the writer's house at Katoomba in, um, in New South Wales, and I... Uh, I entered multiple times and didn't get anywhere. And then finally I actually won one. It was so exciting. But I that was the first people who ever read my read my book, my manuscript. And I then had a um, manuscript consultant, I think they called them, who gave me some feedback on that manuscript and helped me to pull it into shape. That was the first one. Uh, lots of others followed. Another one was someone I met on Twitter. She was a fellow editor. We'd been chatting back and forth. We knew we shared different views, uh, similar views, but we were publishing different kinds of stuff, but we shared similar views about um, the state of publishing and stuff. And um, she offered to uh, to beta read for me if I do the same for her. Then there was another, she did a fabulous review, incredibly great. Uh, and then there was um, another writer that I met. We met on Twitter. We then started going to one another's blogs. We started commenting on each other's articles. And gradually over time, we built up a bit of a relationship, a bit of a friendship. And then the time came when uh, I tweeted something about where I was at with my manuscript. And she replied and said, how can I help? And I, I was so scared to ask her to do a beta read. But she did do it, and she is still my beta buddy today about um, like four or five years later. She's still my beta buddy, and we bounce things off each other. There were various others. I had specialists. I uh, That particular book uh, is about a bunch of old school friends who go out hiking in the New Zealand wilderness and um, fundamentally start killing one another, <laughs> as old friends so often do. And uh, But there's police involvement, and I wanted to make sure that my police involvement was credible. 
It didn't have to be actually factual. It just had to be credible. So I hunted around. I found someone who had published a book who was a retired New Zealand police inspector. And I thought, well, you don't know if you don't ask. So I sent an email to him via his website and asked him if he would be willing to have a look at the pieces of it and make sure uh, that I had got things right and I wanted someone to ask a few more questions of because I'd actually done a research trip for that book, but I did not and I interviewed police and emergency services um, in New Zealand to do that, but I hadn't, I didn't know all the questions I wanted to ask back when I did the research trip. And now having finished the book, I had a lot more questions to ask. So he answered those. I also had um, a character with type 1 diabetes, and it's surprising how few books are written about how to survive a couple of weeks lost in the wilderness with type 1 diabetes. <laughs> Nobody, nobody writes those books, and um, and libraries are the poorer for it. But um, I found uh, an advocate for type one diabetes who blogs and who I'd met, sort of brushed past on various blogs and on Twitter. And I thought, well, you don't know if you don't ask. So I approached her and asked if she would be willing. And she was more than happy to go through it because I think she's read so much rubbish about type 1 diabetes in her time that she was very happy to have a look at a book and make sure it wasn't another heap of rubbish about type 1 diabetes. So as you can see, there's a whole lot of different um, different ways that I've come across these people. Other ways that you can meet people, if you join a writer's group, there might be someone there who you can buddy up with and who can be your reader. I even ended up with my mother being one of my beta readers. Now, I usually say don't use your mother. Um, but um, my mother is really good at being um, brief and to the point, whereas um, I tend to go on a little bit, as you can tell by this interview. But <laughs> And my characters were going on a little bit in the book and I needed someone to help me to cut them down. So I just gave her a red pen and a printout and I said, go through and put a line through every single thing that doesn't have to be on the page. And at first she was a bit shy about doing it. She didn't want to hurt my feelings. And I said, I would rather hear it from you than from 100 bad reviews on Amazon later. So please do it. And she did it and it was so useful. So does that give you some ideas? Yes. Different places you can get beta readers. Yeah, and everybody, as indie publishers, as um, Belinda was talking there, we have so many tools at our disposal now to make our books the best that they can be. And I know we're talking through the publishing myths and I'll continue on with those, but one of those things that is so wonderful is that we have a very supportive community as indie publishers. Uh, everybody's happy to help each other and our network grows um, exponentially. We meet people who talk to us about other people and then we find those people and we've all, we're all trying to achieve the same goal. So if you're listening and you're starting out, don't be afraid to ask people who are further along the journey than you are because they'll be more than happy to help and quite often a little bit flattered um, because sometimes they haven't been you know they're only a little bit further ahead than you and if you let them think they're the expert um you'll be amazed at the advice that you get um probably flooding your way uh the traditional publishing world we've got lots and lots of authors out there who are just as generous um but in a different way they they can focus purely on their writing which god bless their little cotton socks they've got life easy um because they've got editors and professional editors to do all that and we'll talk to belinda about how we as indie authors can take advantage of people like belinda to uh get our work edited and make it the best we can be as well but for beta readers i think it's really important um, Belinda is, does have a book coming out on it sometime. I do. <laughs> if I can 
can get it finished. Uh, now, I had this conference with um, Belinda, Joanna and Rachel in February. So I really adore Belinda because she's still talking about putting it out just like I am with all my books. Uh, so when it does come out, I'll let you know, everybody. Um, I think beta, re- or beta readers are a, a real key and they're a real tool that we can use. And I'm going to ask Belinda, I'll make a little note here. I'm going to talk about more tools that um, Belinda can recommend to us. But if you're writing anything down now, write down beta readers because, um, you know, you don't know where they're going to turn up. It may not be your mother, but it may be someone who actually likes the kind of thing that you're writing and you can use that really well. Belinda, I'm going to put us back on track here and I'm going to talk about... I just, think before, un- just before you do, can I just say I've got a download that people can grab uh, on beta readers. It's a... Um, it's a uh, um, it's a sample briefing document that you can use. It's one that I actually used for my um, my light memoir. It's how I brief them with what uh, what I wanted them to tell me about. And um, I've put it up on my website. You can get it at uh, smallbluedog.com forward slash beta readers. And beta is spelt B-E-T-A. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Well, we won't save that one till the end. We'll get it right in now. Um, Belinda, you're so much more organised than me. I'm just sort of travelling around the traps here. Um, Yeah, what questions do you ask your beta readers? I suppose there are specific things that you want to get out of a beta reader. You want them to look at certain things for you. Well, it will depend very much. I mean, in the case of that one, uh, I had very specific things that I wanted to know. That was – here we go again. Here's another one I prepared earlier. (laughs) Uh, That was for – that was for this book and um, I knew, uh, for example, one of the things I particularly wanted to know, and my seat's going down, one of the things I particularly wanted to know uh, was about where I had ended the book. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read any of the of the kind of light memoirs that are about dogs that are available out there, things like Marley and Me and all of that sort of stuff that that leave you in a mess of tears at the end because the dog always dies. And I wanted to finish this book. Uh, This is the same problem with can we finish the book. I wanted to finish this book before the dog died so that I didn't have it ending with it dying. Uh, So what I ended up doing, by the time I'd finally finished all the different drafts, she had died, unfortunately, and I didn't know whether to finish it where I had, like the ending that I initially wrote in 2014, or whether to continue on and um, for, with the last couple of years of her life. So that was a question that I asked them. It was a very specific question, and it was interesting the answers I got because there was um, quite a bit of emotion that came back with some of the answers. Some of them felt that I I was doing the wrong thing by ending it where I was, and others felt that I wasn't. But it And it sent me into a decline for a while, thinking about it all. But what I ended up... Um, realizing as I worked through that and I wrestled with it because ultimately Melinda it's you that's got to do it it's not the beta readers that tell you what to do you are the writer and you have to figure it out and I finally realized that to add those extra two years on uh, just at that time another dog came into my life and we became a a two-dog family and that's a whole different story because he had a whole lot of different neuroses (laughs) and um, different jokes as well but um, 
I, I realised then that there was a rightness to where the book was ending and I just needed to actually go back through it and strengthen all of that throughout so that I had that, I had that nice sense of resolution and completion to the book, um, even though it wasn't the completion of the dog's life. So that's just one example of the sorts of things that you can ask and the kinds of feedback that you can get and the way that you have to then wrestle with the conflict and the confusion that arises from that feedback. But I really encourage writers to do it anyway because you will become a more powerful and a more um, a more confident uh, and a more communicative writer as a result of doing those things. Yeah. Now, how wonderful is that, everybody? I, I do like sitting here and just listening because, Belinda, you give us so much without me even asking. There's one small <laughs> detail that everyone you might like to know. Belinda held up her latest novel, oh, sorry, her latest book. It's called Dogged Op Optimism, and it's a bit of a memoir I'm gathering. There's something else on there that I can't read as she's waving it around. It is uh, Dogged Optimism, Lessons in Joy from a Disaster-Prone Dog. Yeah. Now that's the book that Belinda was talking about and it's obviously the story of her relationship with her dog, I'm guessing, and Belinda was making movements with her arm as she talked about, I think, the arc of her story. So that gives a little bit of context about what, what we're talking about here. The other book that we were talking about that Belinda held up was called Poison Bay and it's a mystery novel and Belinda wrote that in 2014 and as she said it was set in New Zealand and I believe Belinda you have a new novel coming out next year is that correct if you if you're writing another I, novel I well let's hope it's next year <laughs> Yes, I um, uh, Poison Bay is the first in a series. It's the Wild Crimes series, which are set in. Uh, so the it's like the landscape is a character, uh, and um, I'm setting them in gorgeous wild locations. That one happened to be set in New Zealand because that was the landscape that triggered so many ideas for me when I was there. We won't say how many years ago. Uh, <laughs> The second one is Venom Reef and it's set on the Great Barrier Reef and um, I had the extreme hardship of uh, going on a, on a research trip to uh, Heron Island on the Great Barrier Reef uh, last year to do some research and some interviews and, and look at um, uh, the novel's not set on Heron Island. I'm making up my own island, which is rather delicious to create your own remote, beautiful, tropical island because you can, you can play with the terrain, you can, you can have the most fabulous accommodations you can do all kinds of things um so yeah that's the next one that's coming out in that series and i i, I have people nagging me about it they <laughs> you know have you finished your book yet uh that's something that writers hear a lot but to be honest it takes a lot to write a book it really does take a lot. And some people can write a book in six weeks or six months, but some of us take six years. And can I just encourage your listeners, Melinda, that if they are the ones who take six years, there is always someone out there who has taken even longer than you and don't feel, don't feel inadequate because you are a bit slower. Yeah. It's okay. And I think that's I think that's something that we we don't talk about often enough, um, Belinda. And I think it's something we should do a whole podcast on. Is yeah. you write at the speed that you write. We keep hearing all these success stories, and they they have twenty, thirty books, and they they are making millions and all the rest of it. There's a whole lot of us, um, and 
I can't use me, there's a whole lot of you out there who are what we call mid-listers, who are making a very nice living. Um, Let's talk about Jen McLeod, uh, Helen Young. These people put out a book a year and, and they're making a very nice living, thank you very much. And I mentioned Helen Young as you're talking about tropical islands, Belinda, because yeah. she lives on her yacht and she'd be able to find some great tropical islands for you. Uh, I lived I on follow her on Instagram and I love to see, uh, you know, where she is today and what, what the beautiful sunrise is. She's got through the mast today. <laughs> yeah, and everybody, this is this is the wonderful thing about the community and the network that we build as, as we go on our writing journey. Uh, we all follow each other on Facebook. We see our photos uh, Belinda puts up some beautiful photos of nature and she loves bushwalking and she loves getting out there and I'm enamoured already because they're the kinds of things that I like to look at um, so getting back to our topic we are up to number two right? we are half an hour into our podcast and we've got four more of five publishing myths debunked and this was going to be a very short conversation and only part of our conversation so let's see where we end up and it's going to be interesting, I can tell, because um, Belinda, you are an expert woman and I'd love to have you back as often as you um, wish to come on board and tutor us because there are so many things we can get out of this conversation. Number two, oh, yeah. if, a book Number is, two. <laughs> if a book is rejected by a publisher, it's garbage. Oh, yes. And I did talk about that a bit before too. Um, there is an assumption by some people that if a book's been rejected, then that's because it's no good. But publishers are business people. They have to make business decisions about what which book will sell best at the moment in the current market. Uh, I've spoken to so many publishers who've been breaking their hearts over a gorgeous book, pardon me, <clears throat> that they have had to turn down because it's not the right time with their program. And you look at books like, um, oh, like uh, J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter series. I mean, it was turned down 22 times, I think. Now, all of those publishers who turned it down, perhaps they regret it or perhaps it wasn't the right book for them. I go with they regret it. <laughs> Yeah, but perhaps it wasn't the right book for them and perhaps if they had taken it on, it would not now be this international juggernaut because they may not have had the ability to get it out there and make what what the eventual publisher made of it. So um, it's these are business decisions that people have to make uh, and uh, it doesn't mean that it's, that it's no good. It's, there's a whole lot of different reasons. Sure, some of the ones they turn down are not fabulous, but... Um, a lot of the ones they turned out are fabulous. Yeah, and and that brings me, I'm going to take a little sideline here, it's my turn. Uh, indie publishing, uh, do you think that it is taking off here in Australia as a very real uh, and viable op- option uh, rather than traditional publishing? I'm seeing more and more people being brave enough to self-publish and actually succeed at it. I think so. I think that's true. Uh, I... Um... It used to be kind of the the poor cousin and the thing that people were a bit embarrassed about admitting that they had done. And uh, it's not it's not that anymore. To be honest, a lot of readers really don't know who published a book, particularly when they're buying them online. Um, they really they really don't know and don't care. All they care is that 
it's a good book. It's either a great story, if it's a story, or it's um, it's it's fabulous information that helps them to do something better. Uh, readers readers really aren't that interested uh, in who published it, and I find that um, there's a lot of um, one of one of my brothers. Uh, said to me when uh, when I self-published Poison Bay, he said, oh, yeah, but if, if a publisher came and offered to publish it, you wouldn't say no. And I said to him, I might. And uh, he didn't, he was like, he did a double take. He didn't understand that. There's lots of different reasons why you might choose self-publishing. You actually choose it. It's not just the fallback position. And uh, for me, it's a definite choice. I had, um, when I won the uh, when I won the fellowship with Poison Bay, I, it gave me an introduction to uh, to Random House. Now they didn't they didn't choose to contract it on the the first form that it was in, and I could have done some more work on it and resubmitted it. I also had, uh, at the moment in Australia, you can submit unsolicited unsolicited manuscripts to, uh, f- I think, four of the big five publishers. So there are there are a wealth of options if you do want to go with traditional publishing. And I had not, uh, I really just hadn't gone anywhere in that. And I had this sudden turnaround and decided, no, I'm going to, a lot of my clients self-publish. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is or my book where my mouth is and um, have some skin in the game myself. How many cliches can I pack into this sentence? And uh, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot myself. And now that I've done it, I find it very hard to imagine wanting to seek a traditional publisher for it because the thing is everybody thinks if they get a traditional publisher they'll be they'll be eating caviar and traveling around in a stretch limo but the fact is um for the most part uh most if you do get paid in advance these days it will be quite small a lot of people don't get one at all if they do get one, it might only be two thousand or four thousand dollars, and that will be the most your book ever earns, because it doesn't actually earn out the advance. They don't sell enough. They can't fully promote every single book on their list. They have to choose a few and go gangbusters on them, and the others really just have to make their own way in the world. Well, I'd rather push my own book. My book doesn't have to be a success overnight. It doesn't have to be a success in three months. It's not locked into the warehousing problems that plague uh, the big publishers. I can, it's, it's available on print on demand. It's available on ebook. And I can gradually over time continue to build that book. And as the more books in the series come out, they will start to feed back into the first book. And it just keeps growing. You know, it's a 15, 20 year project, not a three month one. Yeah. Now, if That's you're not so sorry, no. If you're not excited by that, everybody, you should be, because that is why we indie publish. You don't have to do it in three months. It can be a ten and twenty year project, and that will um, stir some interest in the earlier books that you've written, and you're there forever. So we talk about building assets. We talk about writing our books and having them there in our asset bank over time. Now, Belinda's um, peers who were at this conference, uh, Rachel Amphlett and Joanna Penn, both are well on the way. Well, 
okay, I admit it. Joanna Penn's already made it. Um, but Rachel Amphlett coming along behind is having some real success. And no one cares who, who published her books. But if you speak to Rachel Blinder, she is a pure professional. She has a publishing schedule. She has a writing schedule. She knows oh, how she to market. Is. She is a bit of a juggernaut in her own right, as is Joanna Penn. And as are you. Rachel works full time. Yeah, well, that's she works full time, and she's running this amazing publishing career on the side. She's yeah. just incredible. I don't know why people work for a living when they don't have to. I just I don't understand it. Never have, never will. Uh, <laughs> we'd rather be out at the beach. Um, but moving right along, because we do have to wind this up eventually, we're going to skip number three, which is publishers are mean, and we're going to move on to number four, which is self-published books are low quality and traditionally published books are high quality. Talk to me, Mrs. Editor. What can we do as self-published <laughs> and indies to make our books the best possible quality? Well, that's a good question, and you'll see that um, I've, I've finally called up that article, so I've got it there as well. Uh, you'll see that beta readers are one of my things that are about how we can produce good quality. Um, often people think about how it looks. Um, they think that they want to make sure that it's got a great cover and that it's got a professional layout and design, and those are very good things and very important, but the words are the most important. <laughs> The words are the most important. The rest is just window dressing. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it really is important to work on that. Uh, and it is possible. It is possible to have books that are just, um, just beautiful books now you'll find say you wrote your book and over time you um you did a lot of work on it you did rewrites and self-editing and you had a team of beta readers that worked on it with you to give you feedback that you could uh, then go on and purpose to to use and make it better and better and then you submitted it to a publisher now the publisher would then want to do more work that doesn't mean that the book was not good the way it was it's more of a subjective thing they're seeing certain things that they would like to be changed so they will go on and make they'll probably ask you for another rewrite and they will put it through a round of editing uh, and various other things to bring it to publication um, so as an indie you do cut out a bit of that although you might find I've certainly found with Poison Bay particularly I went on and on I was rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and you do get to a point um, someone wise told me years ago uh, you never finish writing a book you just stop and <laughs> I did get to the point where I had to stop on Poison Bay and say hang it I'm gonna publish it but even though I'm an editor even though I'd had all of these beta readers working on it with me, even though I'd had the Varuna Manuscript Consultant working on it with me, I still then put it through a professional editing um, process before I published. So I, I had a, um, an editor that I know, actually, that I've worked with in the past, and um, I got her to, to edit it for me, and then I also had it proofread proofread before uh before we publish it so just to give you an idea there are lots of layers to the process of producing your very best quality book and you can do it as an indie and uh, all of this stuff is possible and also i've noticed a lot of drop in quality in some of the um some of the traditional publishing houses they've been really squeezed by the changes in the publishing industry and their budgets are so tight that they're not being able to do as many rounds through a book as they used to do and that's that's sad um, but it's just the way that things are going um, 
and uh, yeah, it's so it, it's it was never true that self-published books were automatically low quality and traditionally published books were automatically high quality, but um, it's even less true today. It's very much leveling out. Yeah, and don't get too frightened, everyone. A, a professional edit can cost thousands. But I remember we had, I think it was Lynn Stringer on here who was a freelance editor who was very, very good. Um, Belinda, you're very, very good. You can do, and I don't want to talk exact prices here, but you can probably get away with, um, I'm going to say four or $500. I think Belinda quoted me for something. And oh, that was just a start. <laughs> no, no, and it was just a start, I think. I know when I um, put The Miner's Wife out, I think I paid about 3500 and I don't regret it. I will never regret it. That had gone through professors and all kinds of things at the uni um, up to PhD stage, and I think we still found something like 800 errors in the thing. And I'm just going, you can't skip that stage. It, you know, the more you pay, sometimes you get better quality, but... All right, I'm going to have to ask. I'm sorry. What's a ballpark figure to to get get your book edited? It's a da- it's a dangerous question because there's so many variables. I know, um, and, and that's have- the problem. Yeah. Yes, there are so many variables. It depends on the length of the manuscript. It depends on on what condition it's in. Uh, it depends on whether you want uh, content and structural editing which is big stuff like you need to get rid of that chapter, you need to write a whole new chapter here, you need to move these around, that needs to go, this needs to come over here. That kind of editing is more expensive than copy editing, which is basically just going through it as it stands and smoothing out uh, the expression, uh, fixing errors, uh, fixing grammar and spelling and punctuation. So it's really, really variable. But, um, you know, I know people... (coughs) Part of me who'll do one for about a full edit for about twelve hundred. Uh, I know um, people who, if you need a full edit with with content and structure as well as copy editing, you basically need to just uh, remove a zero from your word count mm-hmm. from the end of your word count. Yeah. So you know, there's a whole big range there, and it just depends who you're working with, how far you want them to go, um, how experienced they are, how fast they are. Yeah, and so, you do, and you do all of this work. You you do um, structural edits right through to copy yes. edits. Yes, I have a I have a team, and um, I'm a developmental and structural editor. Fundamentally, I do also do some copy editing, but I'm fundamentally looking at the big picture and looking for ways to improve that book as an overhaul, overall cohesive whole, and the way that it works together and the way everything pushes forward towards that vision. Uh, but I also have um, copy editors and proofreaders on my team, and uh, they're people who look at the nitty gritty, the little details, and the uh, the proofreader is the last set of eyes that goes over that before it goes off to print. So they're looking at um, whether the heading styles are consistent, whether the um, whether the right illustration is on the page, uh, as well as just checking the spelling and punctuation again. So uh, a good book goes through all these layers. And, look, sometimes people can't afford the whole thing or, or not at the moment. Uh, and so maybe you'll get your beta readers to work with you on that structural side of things and you'll wrestle with it and work it out yourself and then you'll just pay for the copy editing phase, which will be a more economical phase 
then the whole big catastrophe. So there's all kinds of different things that you can do. And yes, I can, um, you know, I can talk to people about it and um, point them in the right direction. If we're not the right, um, if we're not the right team for you, I can point you in the right direction of some others as well. So there's there's lots of fantastic people out there uh, who are doing really good editing work at the moment. Yeah. So we built you up, everybody, to say, tell the best story that you can, that it's your story. Nobody can tell the story like like you can. We told you that there's beta readers out there or beta readers out there. We've told you that you can be as good a writer as a traditionally published writer. But then we hit you with a bit of a whammy at the end because if you want to be that good, you've actually got to surround yourselves with professionals um, and any indie publisher that you speak to you'll find that they have a team of professionals behind them um, because if you want to be a professional and you want to be perceived as a professional then you have to do the hard work and you have to do the hard yards so sorry everybody we we did set you up a little bit there Belinda you've destroyed half our dreams and we've all gone gone and hind in our cupboard uh, but but there is hope. Um, and now you know why Belinda is taking her time with getting her beta reading book out there and her second mystery novel because she's very, very busy helping the rest of us with all of ours get, get our books out there. Belinda, I'm assuming there is a huge demand for what you do. Oh, yes. Yes, there's, there's, I'm turning away stuff all the time. And um, I know there's a lot of... Um, yeah, there's a lot of people are writing books these days, which I think is wonderful. They're feeling free and released to do that. Uh, they're getting past the fear and the feeling of inadequacy. And um, and it's lovely. I just love it when people are able to put their passion in a book. But yes, there's lots of demand and um, and there's lots of fabulous books coming out. Yeah. I'm excited. And the covers, and and we've got a we've got a lot of professional people who can do our cover designs and all that kind of stuff as well. But that's another story. I'm going to finish up now, um, having destroyed everybody's dreams. I'm going to start end with the very last one. The big money is with traditional publishing, and I know this is a whole new podcast, but let's let's give it to them with all barrels about how rich you can actually get um, yes. if you get all those things in line. Yes. Now. Um... The truth of the matter is people think that the big money is in traditional publishing, that the stretch limo pulls up outside the door and carts you around to your fabulous um, fabulous book tour. Uh, but more and more today that's very much not the case, even if it ever was. Uh lot, lots less lots less publishers are lots fewer publishers are paying <laughs> are paying um are paying advances these days and um, they're having more trouble getting books to sell solidly, whereas those who are doing self-publishing, because they're so committed to their book, they will just keep on working at it. Some of them even will put it out there, publish it, and then continue to edit it and change it. I know people who've done that and continued to polish and keep posting up a new, better version all the time. Um, but... Um, just to give you an example, there's books that have been shortlisted for the Booker Prize that have sold as few as 3,000 copies. And yet I remember when Joanna Penn was just getting started and she was kind of hesitantly sharing her, her stats on the web, on her website, and she was saying how she'd hit 10,000 copies of her first book. Now, Compare that, 3,000 copies for a Booker Prize shortlisted book 
versus 10,000 copies for someone who is publishing independently and just promoting to their blog readership and through advertising on the web. And that was when she was getting started. She's now selling, I don't know, something like 100,000 books a year or something crazy like this. But um, those, those are huge figures. In Australia, a first print run for a traditional publisher is often only about 2,000 copies between two and 4,000 copies. So you can sell masses of books uh, because you can reach the whole world now. And um, there's you do have to put in the work. It doesn't just come to you. It's not if you build it, they will come. Uh, you do have to get in there, market it, connect with people and get your story out there. But there are great possibilities for those who work hard, who do a professional job and who unfortunately do publish fairly often, <laughs> unlike you and I, Melinda. And um, those are the ones who are really building actually quite a solid business plan for their writing. They're, yeah, um, yeah. The mid-listers are the ones who really win with self-publishing. Yeah. And we are going to. We are on the gonna do list, Belinda. We will not give up on ourselves. Um, but we're so busy helping you lot get out there and, and I help people get their sentences in the right order and Belinda helps polish them all up. And we are sacrificing our own writing careers for you lot. I hope you're very That's proud right. of us. Uh, but we do have good intentions. Everyone, I would love to get Belinda back on. Um, we talked very early on about the distribution and how that is the key, getting your books out and the marketing side of things I know you're very good at that uh, good at that as well maybe we could come back together at some stage and talk about that once we get everyone writing their books and, and getting their books published maybe then we can um, talk to them about what to do then mm -hmm. yeah that sounds like a great idea yeah okay so where can we find you where can we find you and your editing services and your beta reading book when it actually comes out <laughs> Uh, well, uh, you can uh, probably the best place to go is my main blog, which is at smallbluedog.com, and that uh, that is uh, write and publish like a pro. That's my theme on that blog. I also have um, writeyourlifenow.com, which is specifically for people who are writing memoir and personal story. And I have gracewriters.com, which is for Christian authors who are writing for mainstream markets. So I have multiple topics that I'm doing there. Uh, to get that, um, that sample uh, briefing document for beta readers, that is at smallbluedog.com forward slash beta readers. Um, just all one word. So I hope, hope people find that useful. Okay, now I'm going to tell you the cheating way, everyone. If you just punch in BelindaPollard.com, she's actually got links to all of those things on that one website. So that's how I found out all about it. Uh, and I will reference that one uh, website or that one link in the podcast notes, um, BelindaPollard.com, and you'll be able to find your way to the fascinating uh, website where she tells us all how to publish and that wonderful uh, single blog about five publishing myths debunked that just kept us entertained for an hour. I dread to think what we would find if we delved into uh, the background of all, all the information that you've got up there. Belinda, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I look forward to having you back and I look forward to catching up with you uh, uh, here in Brisbane at sometimes on a personal at some time on a personal level. Uh, so it's bye from me at Rider on the Road and Belinda. Thank you very much, Melinda. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah. Okay. Bye for now.